Fan Junkies Radio is brought to you by FanJunkies.net, where sports meets social networking. Gentlemen, and welcome to another episode of Fan Junkies Radio. I'm your host, Jonathan Raggis. Alongside me, as always, Mike McShane. What's going on, Mike? Hey, how are we doing today, Jonathan? We're just sitting around waiting for the big uh, snowstorm, huh? Yeah, it's coming, man. It's yeah. getting bad out there. Yeah, a little, I saw a few flurries, but not much yet. But no, well, expecting measurable snow, apparently. Hopefully, it stays away. But I mean, it would be nice. this morning, nothing's really happened yet. It's already noon. It would be nice if it stayed away. I would like that. Yeah, well, that's because your back can't take shoveling, Mike. That you're absolutely right. It can't. You're you're right about that. It can mine, so don't worry about it. Uh, okay, I thought you were making a, a bust for my age, but no, not at all, Mike. When do I ever do something like that? Never, never. Uh, uh, right, you know. Oh man, all right. We're gonna be talking to somebody that's not affected by the weather at all, and that makes me sick. Yeah, a lucky friend of ours. Uh, we'll be joined later on by Philadelphia. Dot com writer Frank Close, who is in Clearwater, Florida, at Bright House Field, at the site of Philadelphia uh, Philly Spring Training, and uh, yeah, he'll be calling in from uh, sunny Florida. That lucky guy. Yeah, he's our Phillies analyst on the ground, our fan junkies Philly analyst on the ground. How do you like that? You gotta like that, man. Yeah, we're moving, we're grooving, we're getting bigger. Yeah, uh, you know, payroll's getting larger. <laughs> From zero to 50 cents. <laughs> We're getting huge, Mike. Oh. All right, well, let's get started because we got a lot of great things to talk about. And as we said before, Frank Close, Philadelphia.com, uh, you know, Phillies writer will be joining us at around the 12-15 mark here. So if you are a Philadelphia Phillies fan and you want to ask some questions to Frank about the team in general, uh, give us a call at 347-237-5373, and uh, Frank will be uh, happy to answer some questions today. Uh, let's get to the hat-trick picks uh, first. Uh, quick, Mike, uh, still leading 2-1 to one over you. Yes, you are. Uh, <laughs> proud of myself. <laughs> I'd, be, I'd be even prouder since I'm such a uh, NHL freak that uh, should be leading about 7-1 over you, but I'm not. I was going to say, the worst part will be at about six weeks when, you're, when you start this out and you go, Still leading two to one over you. Still leading two to one, but guess what? A win is a win, right? So, but let's get to these three uh, questions over on hattrick.nhl.com for today. Uh, will Nazem Kadri register at least one point for the Toronto Maple Leafs against the Ottawa Senators tonight? With 23 points in 23 games, I said yes. I'm going no. Ah, okay. All right. Which team will win between the amazing Chicago Blackhawks and the Colorado Avalanche? No brainer, huh? Blackhawks. Blackhawks as well. Although it's going to be a back-to-back game, so um, but they're playing at home. Yeah, I'm not worried about it, Mike. Uh, which team will win between the San Jose Sharks and the Calgary Flames? It's another one, a little weird. Calgary favored on the Vegas line, yet I'm going with the Sharks. I'm going with the Sharks as well. I think they're a better team. And they even had Scott Gomez score a goal yesterday. Oh, wow. How about that? Scott Gomez scoring another goal in the NHL, but he did. That's a name from the past, huh? There you go, man. All right, man, keeping with the uh, NHL trend here, let's talk about the Blackhawks, Mike. Yeah. 20-0-3, 
43 points. They continue to win, and they won yet again last night at home against the Minnesota Wild, 5-3, to getting goals from Brandon Saad, two from Brian Bickle, one from Marion Hossa, and one from Patrick Kane. Uh, all four of the, uh, the four first goals came in the first period. Patrick Kane's came in the third period, Mike. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yep. Wow. Uh, is it ever going to end? Well, you know, we talked about it a little bit on Monday. Uh, yeah. we, I, I thought it was going to end uh, over the weekend there. Um, it, you know, and yet at the same time, I, I think we brought it up on Monday. They, they've got a little bit of a stretch here where they've got some games that they should win. You know, yeah. the, the Wild was a team, you know, on paper they should beat them. Uh, tonight's game is another game. They should win. Um, so they've got them. They've actually, they're in a good spot right now to keep the streak going. Uh, you know, I always keep thinking, though, it's going to be one of these weaker teams that one would expect that they're going to beat that's actually going to turn the table on them and beat them. It's a funny thing how these things go, and I don't care what sport it is that these kinds of things happen in. Uh, As much as you want to keep rooting for them, and I think a lot of people are probably jumping on the the Chicago Blackhawks bandwagon, Going, yeah, hey, let's see it keep going. Let's see it keep going. There's something in the back of you that kind of keeps saying, ooh, they got to lose one sooner or later. they got to lose one sooner or later. Yeah, I mean, are they? When is the question? Yeah. Um, you know, every time we think they're going to lose, as we saw against Detroit, they pull one out of who knows where. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, I, I, honestly, you know, 20-0-3, amazing, amazing record. You know, this is hard to do in the NHL. And we'll get to that uh, towards the later part of the show. Hopefully, we'll get to it. If not, we'll definitely get to it on Friday. As uh, you know, we heard Stephen A. Smith make some comments about the Chicago Blackhawks <laughs> yesterday and today. So, well, you know, consider for a moment too. I mean, it's a 48 game schedule that we've got this season. Uh, they win tonight. That's half the season. That means they would have gone the half of the season without losing a game. Wow! Wow! That's yeah. something. That is something, man. So. All right, man, we'll see what happens. But uh, actually, we've got a couple of uh, NHL moves to report before we get to uh, talking about the Rangers and Flyers games. The Rangers actually claimed defense on Roman Hamerlick off the waivers from the Washington Capitals. Really? Devils claimed Tom Kostopoulos from the Pittsburgh Penguins. All right, who, who claimed Ham- uh, Hamerlick? The New York Rangers. What do you think of that? Um, You know what? They needed a, a left-handed defenseman with a, with a, with a lefty shot. Uh, instead, they go out and get a righty. Uh, you know, they need power play help, Mike. Uh, it's starting to look a little bit better to power play, but they still need help from the uh, back end there. Uh, just a death move. It's not bad. Roman Hamerlick has been around for a I long, long time. I was going to say a long time. Long, long, long time. He, uh, wow, I don't even, I can't even count how many seasons he's played. He's been playing since the 92-93 season, Mike. My goodness. I, I Wow. Yeah, so, uh, hey, listen, man, you know what? If uh, he didn't have too too bad of a season last year, you know, he's been a, a pretty good defenseman over his years. Uh, you know, only four games played this season with a terrible Washington team, only one assist, but then again, it's a terrible Washington team. So who knows what Roman Hammerlick could bring to the New York Rangers. So yep, 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 yep. We'll see what happens. Uh, well, it's interesting. I, I, I didn't even, frankly, I would have thought that the guy wasn't even playing any longer, but... Uh, a lot of people didn't, but then again, when you're down in Washington, I don't think anybody knows you're playing there. You get lost, yeah. You get lost quick. So, 
All right, man, let's talk a little bit about this Flyers and Rangers game last night. Rangers, my Rangers, very happy to say, held on to win 4-2 to two against the Flyers. Ryan Callahan, two goals in the first. Simmons and Voracek hitting the 10-goal mark for your Flyers, Mike, in the first. Um, and then Rick Nash took over in the third with uh, two beautiful, beautiful goals uh, on Ilya Brzgalov to give the Rangers a 4-2 to two win. Uh, first, Mike, uh, you know, what did you think your Flyers last night? Well, l- l- let me put it this way. Um, what do I think? Uh, uh, let me break it down two ways. Let, let me let me mention what I think the Rangers did su- superbly. All right, and I really think it was the difference in the game. Number one, three three things in my opinion were the were the big difference in this game. Number one, the goaltending on the on the part of the Flyers, which in my opinion was not very good. Yes. Uh, but what did the Rangers do that's really well? Two things: neutral zone, baby. They clogged up that neutral zone absolutely brilliantly. Mm-hmm. If there is a team out there that wants to watch, go watch the game tape on this one uh, to, to to see how you take over the neutral zone because that's what the Rangers did. And their forechecking in the offensive zone was – in the Flyers, offense, uh, Flyers defensive zone, their offensive zone was superb. The yeah. Rangers' forechecking was tenacious. Yeah. Uh, we could not – the Flyers could not get around it. Part, the biggest problem I see with the Flyers right now – and I've been saying it all year long. Puck movement on the part of the Flyers. All right, they just look very, very sluggish. They just seem to be throwing the puck around the, the uh, different zones. Uh, it doesn't appear that they they really have a plan a lot of times. In my opinion, the only line that 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 the Flyers I think has really, really, really been productive from the standpoint of puck movement has been the Simmons line. Um, so puck movement. And the, the other problem that I see with the Flyers is speed. Yeah. They they are a very slow team in my yeah. opinion. There's a couple of guys on there that have some speed, but when you're getting dragged down by a lot of slower guys, it's hard to really utilize your speed. Yep. You know, we saw that with the Rangers with uh, Carl Hageline when uh, you know they put him on a line and he's got somebody like Brian Boyle centering him for a little bit, and uh, you know, guy can't utilize his speed unfortunately. That's a big part of his game. So, right. you know, Simmons isn't a slow guy. Uh, special player in my eyes, Mike. You know, we spoke a little bit about that last night. You know, guy's really good, man. Well, we got to give Wayne Simmons his credit. You know? Absolutely. The size helps, and he's perfect to just plant himself right there in front of the net, which is what he's been doing yeah. uh, consistently for the past number of games. Like absolutely. I mentioned last night, uh, what, he's got six goals in his last eight games, three goals in the past three. And where is he getting them? He's getting them directly in front of the net. So when you post down low like that, the way he's been doing, uh, you're going to create some problems. Obviously, he's a screen. He's a big guy. Oh, he's a big guy. And that, that, that goal, and I have to say, it was a beautiful, beautiful first goal. And uh, you know what? If you look at it, it's it's really all about right now. It's all about that first line of Giroux, Simmons, and Voracek. I mean, that's really what they have. Yes. And that's the only line, in my opinion, that I think has really, really been productive from the standpoint of puck movement. Well, look at their uh, you know stats alone. Mm-hmm. You know, Giroux with a, a bunch of assists, Voracek with ten goals and I think seventeen assists already. Mm-hmm. I mean, Voracek is having an incredible, incredible season so yes, far. Yes. So. You know, you yep. got to give it to them. You know, lo- you know, looking down at my Rangers, uh, you know, they still have a lot of holes in there, but they're getting a, a you know, they're getting a lot of pickups, Mike. You know, Hageline, Callahan, and Rick Nash are three guys you really got to talk about when you talk about the New York Rangers. And uh, you know, Brad Richards was out after that, uh, you know, vicious check from behind uh, by Patrick Collette of the Sabres the other day, which got suspended for five games. Right. Uh, you know, very sore Richards, but you know, last night they really didn't miss him. And, but my uh, goodness, you need much more when you've got Nash and Callahan. Well, exactly. You know, and uh, they they looked phenomenalist. I mean, if you look at it, the whole first period. I mean, you know, the forechecking and the back checking was great. 
But the whole first period on the offensive side of the puck was all Ryan Callahan. In the third period was all Rick Nash. Yeah, you know. And you and I were talking a little bit about it uh, a pre-show here. Uh, Nash, just a phenomenal, phenomenal stick handler uh, and pe- a puck controller. Yeah, it still blows my mind watching him handle the puck, Mike. Yes, it blows my mind. So. Yes. Right. You know, I, I'll give it to you. I'll give it to you that the, uh, you know, that first goal that he had against Bridge was was tremendous. Yes. Uh, from the standpoint of puck control, uh, it shouldn't have happened, in my opinion. The defenseman should have been there to take Nash out. Mm-hmm. The second goal, however, which he blasted almost from the top of the faceoff circle, uh, that was completely on Brizgalov. Brizgalov never went down at all. He was in a standing position and and left the entire five hole open. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it was it was something special. So, all right, real quick, Mike, uh, we'll talk a little bit about Mark Stahl taking a puck in the head. We only got yeah. a few minutes left, and we want to get to Frank. So, real quick, you want to give us the NCAA rankings? Uh, NCAA rankings. Big news uh, the other day when they came out. They came out late on uh, Monday. Gonzaga now. Uh, up there at number one. Of course, the talk still is that even if the uh, season were to con- 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 uh, completely conclude, uh, Gonzaga probably still would not be a number one in the NCAA tournament. Indiana drops down to number two, Dukes at number three, and Kansas at number four. Uh, joining the ranks of the top 25, uh, VCU jumps back in there at number 21, UCLA uh, in there at number 23. Uh, biggest mover of uh, the week. Uh, had to be Florida, who dropped from 8 to number 11. Uh, and I guess the biggest mover up was Kansas State, coming up to number 9 from uh, number 13. Conference tourneys are going on in some uh, conferences as we speak right now. The bigger ones will be coming uh, over the weekend and into next week. Very nice. Very nice. I know you're happy about that, Mike. Me? I am. I really don't know. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, let's talk about something else that I love so much in the world, and that's baseball. And let's oh, bring in <laughs> let's bring in a good friend of ours right now, and that's Philadelphia dot com writer Frank Close. Frank, what's going on, bud? Hey, how you doing, guys? Hey, Frank, how are things down there in Florida? Tell us, come on, because we're sitting. Well, here. it's it's beautiful and sunny, and <laughs> a little, little little bit of a breeze, but I think I'll take that. Yeah, you want our breeze, man? It's like sixty mile per hour winds over here. <laughs> <laughs> We're we're, so, we're buckling down for about four or five inches of snow later on. I enjoy that. I'll I'll enjoy the sunshine. <laughs> <laughs> well, Frank, you know what? I saw you put up a picture on Facebook the other day saying that I don't think you ever want to come home after uh, looking at the beautiful sunny skies of Florida, man. And it kind of made me jealous. So I say that now, but if I stayed in the summer, I probably would want to come home. So it's okay. So maybe I, maybe I can split my time. Well, you know, it's either that or you stay in the sun there all the time and come back looking like a leather shoe, man. So. <laughs> Got to have something, right? So, <laughs> I promise, I promise the viewers, Frank, that I would bust on you for the uh, picture you put up this morning uh, wearing the one jersey. I think oh, you know yes. which one. I think you know which one I'm talking about, right? <laughs> well, I tend to prefer wearing jerseys that are, uh, you know, everybody's got a Chase Utley, everybody's got a Ryan Howard. I like to wear something a little bit different. So, uh, in my Facebook uh, profile right now, I am dining an Antonio Bastardo jersey. <laughs> Now, updated with this number 59. Of course, the problem, the problem is that Bastardo has benefited greatly from uh, financially from both Jonathan Papalavon and Mike Adams' signings because he had both those numbers. So, The problem, though, Jonathan, is that you don't see the O on Bastardo. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I'm looking at the picture right now. 
<laughs> and I gotta tell you, man, listen, if you really wanted to get creative, you should have wore a Lenny Dykes or prison jumpsuit. Oh, no. yeah, I like that. I may have to do that. <laughs> <laughs> that would be All great. Right. <laughs> talk, to us, talk to us, Frank, a little bit about the Philsons. You're down there. They got a game this afternoon. You're at Bright House Field. Is that right? Do they have a game there this afternoon? I, I am. They're about to take on the Washington Nationals, or at least the Denard Span and a bunch of minor leaguers. Uh, okay. Strasburg is pitching, but uh, the rest of the national final stayed back in Vieira. Okay. Uh, yesterday, uh, that was the big news up here uh, in the Philly region, uh, was the outing that uh, Cole Hamels had. Didn't look very good in, what, two and, uh, was it two and a third or two and two-thirds? Two and two-thirds, yes. Eight and runs. Gave up 12 hits or something? Yeah, 12 hits, eight and runs. And like. I personally would not make much of it. Um, you know, pitchers, when they come to spring training, especially with the ones of Cole Hamels' caliber, you know, the Roy Halladay's, the Cliff Lee's, they might be working on one pitch to get ready for the season. So if Cole Hamels came into the game and just said, you know, I'm going to I'm gonna work on my cutter today, and that's all he's throwing, um, you know, that's not the same as approaching uh, the hitters uh, saying, well, what do I need to do to get Jose Reyes out, or what do I need to do to get Nelson Cruz out? Uh, and instead, you know, uh, you, what you see sometimes in the spring are, are outings like yesterday. And, and let's face it, too, that was one stacked Dominican lineup. It sure was. Absolutely. You're not kidding. Uh, in fact, it's interesting because uh, Hamels apparently said after the game yesterday that, in fact, uh, he was throwing more change-ups, and, that, and that's, in fact, what he went out there to do yesterday was to work on that, uh, work on his change-up, and that's where he was getting hit a lot. Yeah, so, I mean, I don't, I don't think for, for for most pitchers, you know, that, that have a track record that are guaranteed a spot in a starting rotation, they tend to do that. Now, the pitchers that you worry about are the ones that are trying to, to pitch like it means something and trying to make a team. Uh, because they don't have that same luxury to work on certain pitches. All right, so we're not to worry about a 15-run uh, 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 game yesterday against us or a 28-hit uh, game yesterday. We shouldn't worry about that. I would not worry about that because Cole Hamilton, as you said, was working on his changeup, and nobody that relieved him is going to make the opening day roster. So uh, it was just kind of batting practice from uh, for the Dominican team yesterday. <laughs> so if that basically came uh, in Hamill's first start against the Miami Marlins, then we should be worried, right? Uh, well, that, if it gets Miami, yeah, if yeah. it gets Miami, I think we better be. Actually, because I think that Dominican team is better than Miami. So, well, uh, uh, the Dominican team is better than all thirty major league teams. I think <laughs> that is one talented uh, lineup. Oh, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Well, they made a they made a commitment, if I'm not mistaken. In fact, the president of uh, the Dominican Republican uh, after the last classic four years ago made a commitment that they would never lose again. <laughs> yeah, last time it was a, a real disappointment. They lost in the first round to, like, the right. Netherlands or somebody obscure, right. and it just shocked, shell-shocked everybody. So I think I think this year, um, you know, one thing about the World Baseball Classic is for a lot of these players, you know, they never really get a chance to represent home, you know, because they're making the money overseas. And I think they really want to do their country proud this year. So I don't think they're there to mess around. And, and I think that, that Dominican team looks really good. Well, from what we saw yesterday, man, they're definitely not playing around. So it doesn't matter who's on the mound. That's right. <laughs> let's, go over, let's go real quick. Uh, let's talk about the obvious things, Frank. Uh, 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 let's start off with Ryan Howard. Uh, right now hitting 370, and everything I've heard is uh, he's looking like he's having a pretty good preseason. Yeah, I would agree. And the fact that the, the irony is I, I don't think he uh, really looks like his old self yet. Um, when you watch his swing, that left Achilles – that, uh, you know, which he injured at the end of 2010, I still don't see that left foot planted the way it used to be. And I think when, you know, once he, uh, you know, really feels more confident in his foot and uh, it, start, it really 
totally heels. I'd say watch out because he, he's locked in. Mm-hmm. Do you uh, see that pulling over to the season or what? I, oh, I, I believe so. I believe so. He's uh, he's there's a lot to be uh, happy about with Ryan Howard. He's he's not making any um, bad decisions at the plate. It looks like uh, he's not swinging at stuff he shouldn't swing at. And and part of the problem last year was his foot was, was in such pain that that he never really got to really fully plant his foot to make some good swings on some balls. So I, I think he's going to be in for a big season. I see him having a bounce back here. Hmm. Let's go over to the other big, big X factor in my mind. I think this is the biggest one of all, and that's Utley. Uh, right now hitting three thirty three. He's only appeared in six uh, six of the ten games. Uh, is that the plan? Are we going to be seeing this guy plan maybe about uh, 60% of the games? I don't think 60%. It might be... Um, 95%, you know, maybe they'll, you know, in a two-week span, you might have a couple of days off. You know, you may get a, an extra day off in there somewhere. Uh, having Freddie Galvez actually certainly gives you a little extra option of somebody to put in in this place. But knowing knowing Charlie Manuel, if, if, uh, if, he's, if he's firing in all cylinders, he's just going to keep playing them. And the off days will be mostly his, his time off. So I, that I expect once they come to the north that he's going to play. Is that a good idea, though? I mean, that's we know we know being Philadelphia fans, and we've seen it from Charlie before that that's what he does. Sometimes it's not a good idea. Sometimes we know that with Utley, he's the kind of guy you just gotta say to him, uh, "You're sitting today, buddy." Yeah, I think Charlie Manuel is stubborn, stubborn in that regard. I would, you know, as you can see right now, he wants Ryan Howard to play, but he hasn't given Ryan Howard a day off yet. So I would really like to see him give Ryan Howard a day off, like he has chased up, uh, mm-hmm. but. I just think he's too stubborn, and is it a good idea? You know, I, I, I probably think that in a two-week span, if there's two scheduled off days, I would like to see at least get one other day off. That's, that's what I would do. Jimmy Rollins has only played in four games. Why so few so far? Well, he headed out to the World Baseball Classic, so okay. uh, I think he they didn't want to totally overdo it for him as he, as he heads to that, where he'll be playing a little bit more uh, game action. Okay. Um, and probably be leading off for the, the Team USA. So, so I think they were just trying not to give him a, a big workload because, um, you know, they need to, uh, uh, you know, let him get ready for the, the tournament and, and don't want, to, want him going into it overdone. Talking leadoff, that's the big, big question here uh, with the Philadelphia Phils. Um, I, think there are, I think the Phils have some options uh, for who would be the leadoff uh, hitter. But at the same time, it still appears, and we just talked about Manuel being stubborn, it still appears that Manuel's planning on uh, sticking with Rollins. Uh, is that the way you're seeing it, and is that the right move? Well, I did think it was interesting. Uh, one, of the, one of those four games that Rollins started uh, featured a lineup where Ben Revere led off and Jimmy Rollins batted second. And afterwards, Manuel just kind of said, well, I want to see how this lineup looks. But even though he did it then, I still don't think he's going to do it um, come opening day, uh, Jimmy's been his guy, and Jimmy will always be his guy. I think if we looked at last year when when Phillies um, had some injuries and Charlie tried to bat Jimmy Rollins third, and he hit just 216 in the three hole. But if you look at his numbers in his in his one hole, uh, they were a lot more uh, respectable and a lot more Jimmy Rollins. So I think I think probably you need to let Jimmy be Jimmy. Um, I kind of would prefer to see Ben Revere towards the top of the lineup. I don't think he works hitting second because then you would have Revere, Udley, Howard all in a row and not be able to give, um, you know, pitchers a chance to escape one lefty, you know, because it would be lefty, lefty, lefty. 
Right. And uh, Michael Young, if Michael Young hits, uh, another thing too I, I don't like is if Michael Young has to hit second um, to sort of break up those lefties, then he'll hit fifth. Right. Uh, you know, if you're doing Dominic Brown, well, then you're lefty-lefty-lefty again on the other end. And if Darren Ruff doesn't make the team, uh, which he might not, then there goes a righty option. And Carlos Ruiz is going to be suspended for the first 25 games. So there goes another righty option. Mm-hmm. So it's, 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 I, I think that it probably would be best served going Revere, Rollins, who's a switch hitter, Utley Howard, and then Michael Young. But, uh, again, Charlie being Charlie, I don't expect anything but Jimmy betting first. Wow. Dominic Dominic Brown's hitting three forty eight uh right now. Uh this is he's entering what? This is the be the third season or fourth season. Has he turned the corner? I think so. I think he uh, Wally Joyner, um he got to know, you know, the Phillies' new assistant hitting coach. He got to know Wally Joyner almost right away, uh, since Dominic Brown lives nearby and you know, grew up nearby in Zephyr Hills, Florida. So so Brown was around camp a lot sooner than a lot of the other players, and he was really one of the first people that Wally Joyner got to meet, and they got to work together extensively. You know, uh, Wally Joyner being a left-handed hitter, whereas Steve Henderson, the uh, hit, primary hitting coach, was a right-handed hitter. You know, the two formed a bond, and uh, and Dominic Brown even said, "Oh, it's like God sent me an angel." You know, in this case, a California angel in Wally Joyner, but. Um, yeah, they were able to, uh, to to work on some things with his swing, and, and uh, Brown seems really sharp. I just watched him hit a home run uh, two days ago that that, that uh, cleared the right field. It, it was a yeah. shot, right. and uh, he seems locked in. He seems confident. I think that's that's an important thing too here. His confidence is back, and uh, you know, he's, he's. I think it also helps knowing that there's not Hunter Pence blocking him or um, or anything like that. I think this is his this, this is his time, and I think there's a so far, it's very positive. Is he going to hit in the 300s like that and 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 mash uh, three home runs every 10 games? Well, I don't know, but uh, he certainly uh, he certainly is probably a starting uh, left fielder for this team. Okay, let's uh, let's talk real quick about some of the players that could possibly be bench players and role players for the Phillies here. Uh, first, I got to ask, what's going on with Darren Ruff, both offensively and defensively? Yeah. Well, in left field, he is he is just lost. I mean, he's yep. not even Raul Abanez left field uh, yet at this point. So uh, he's he's, he's uh, and I really think that that's affecting his whole game. I mean, his working watching him in left is just just kind of kind of sad. You know, the the roots he takes on balls, just uh, watching him uh, watching him see a ball hit to him and how he reacts. He doesn't seem ready to play left field just yet. And 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 they carry over to. to to his offensive game, that's that's very possible. Yeah. Now, what I would not do is I would not recommend they send him to minor league camp at any time. Uh, I think he'd benefit the most from uh, being with the big league camp. And once you send him to minor league camp, then that's the contract option that they use. So yeah. I really would ride him the whole way, see what he has at the end, and if he comes on strong the last two weeks, then then maybe he's worth taking north. Because remember, uh, Delman Young, who's probably a worse fielder than Ruff. Uh, right. He's not. In, he's injured, and he's not even going to be on the team till late April or May. So, um, so he may get. He may get to start the the season with the Phillies by default. Uh, but I, I would. I would. I would keep playing him. I would just see where he goes. See if he feels like a, a point of comfort. You know, maybe snake in his ear that Triple A could be waiting for him and let him be motivated to to step up his game. But I don't think there's any advantage to, to cutting him now or making any decision just yet. And if he doesn't make the team, um, uh, the Phillies have uh, their Rule Five pick Ender Enciarte uh, available to be the fifth outfielder when the season opens. 
huh. interesting because Ruff was considered, I mean, by many, to be an automatic starter on the team, that he was going to make the team. The rumor we're getting up here recently has been there's no way he's making the team. You're kind of in between, Frank, it sounds like to me. I think it's too early to say one way or the other. Okay. I mean, there's, there's still a lot of spring training left. I mean, today is what March sixth, uh, right? Right. So and they're here. They're here till they're here till uh, the 28th, and then they have two um, preseason games in Philly. I, I would even keep carrying them straight through till till those two games in Philly. And if he has two good weeks at the end, then then I could make the decision for him. Because again, mm-hmm. uh, there's no Doman Young, you know, around. Yeah. Do you think now, uh, you know, Darren Ruff not having any uh, seasoning in AAA could hurt his development this year if he uh, starts to sour again real early on? Not, not really. I tend, I always tend to think that you you face the best uh, pitching in AA because a team's going to have a prospect in AA. AAA is going to be for um, the Aaron Cooks of the world or um, you know, the Dave Bushes of the world. You know, the players that just weren't good enough to make a big league roster now had success in the past and they're still kind of hanging around. Um, so I don't know if this AAA, which is kind of a veteran wasteland, where where uh, I don't know if that helps him. If you follow what I'm saying. Yep. Hmm. All right. What about other role players, as Jonathan was asking? Yeah. Well, I think uh, I think John Mayberry is a lock. Uh, Mayberry is a really good bench player. I don't think he's a starter. He doesn't seem to hit righties. Um, in fact, I would be perfectly comfortable with him and, and Lance Nix being in a, in a in an outfield platoon when the season opens. Um, you know, to compliment Dominic Brown and left. Um, they, they might actually be a formidable platoon. Um, uh, I would not play either every day, but uh, both of them are good are good players if they're facing the right pitching. Uh, Nix can hit righties, and maybe Ray can hit lefties. So ideally you would have both those guys on your bench and not uh, in a platoon role, but um, that, that, that seems to be what might happen if Ross starts the season in AAA and uh, Delman Young isn't ready. What about Franzen? Oh, Kevin Franzen's a nice player. Uh, and one thing that I think that um, you have to be prepared for is to not see much of him next year. Okay. And the reason I say that is because of uh, his role as the utility infielder. He might uh, be the last one off the bench, you know, because mm-hmm. you can't uh, – you probably aren't going to get Freddie Galvis starting a lot So uh, when, when guys get their days off. And if those guys are indeed getting a day off, you know, you really need to stay that last infielder to the very end in case, God forbid, somebody gets hurt or something like that. So, so he, I mean, he may get a start here and there, but um, if, if Freddie Gallius, uh, you know, really um, does show that he can play all these positions well and, and is hitting a little bit, he may get the, he may get uh, the start ahead of uh, Franson. And, and Charlie Manuel said he hopes to get Dallas, um 300 at-bats this year. Mm-hmm. So that would mean that he's, he's, he's starting in and out a lot. Um, and... and uh, that would that would mean Franson is that that guy who comes off the bench absolutely last after yeah. uh, everybody is, you know, after somebody gets hurt. Right, right. Hmm. There's a I've heard two schools of thought, uh, Frank, uh, and I guess maybe we'll wrap it up with this one uh, unless Johnson's got something else. But uh, two schools of thought that I've heard recently. Uh, one is either as we talked about back on our MLB Week show where we had you and 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 Jim Williams. Uh, that the Phils will end up third or fourth in the East. Uh, the second school of thought is this could be an 83-type team that takes everybody by surprise uh, and ends up very high in the East, perhaps maybe even winning the East. Uh, if if not that, then certainly making a wild card. 
what's your assessment at this point? Are you still hanging with what you predicted or projected back a couple of weeks ago with us uh, when we had the MLB week? I still kind of feel the same. I, I actually think the Phillies could be uh, second in the NL East in a wild card. Uh, the reason I, I, I'm very high on the Phillies is if you look at last year, uh, there's a couple things that we can get out of that. Uh, one of them being the obvious, that we had injuries to Chase Utley and Ryan Howard for a great portion, and people were uh, you know, forced into lineup roles they didn't belong in, and, and the offense really scuffled. So that, that's, that's one thing that we don't have to worry about because, uh, excuse me, I also should add to that, Foster Del Peronco. And with uh, Michael Young there, you know, not, he doesn't seem to be much of an injury risk in his career. Um, there's three spots in the lineup that are probably in, in good hands right now that didn't exist last year. Right. And secondly uh, is the bullpen. Now, last year, uh, Ruben Amaru's best answer for the eighth inning was Chad Qualls. Right. And Chad Qualls was atrocious for the Phillies. He was atrocious for the Pirates. He was atrocious for the Yankees. Uh, somehow, I, you know, it's no surprise that he didn't get a job this year. So keep in mind, Qualls, uh, Qualls was the go-to guy in the eighth inning. Now, what happens when your go-to guy fails? Well, who did the Phillies have? They had a bunch of rookies that, that had to fill key roles in the seventh inning and the eighth inning, to which they, they never had any experience, never were accustomed. Now, every time that the Phillies threw Joe Savory or Michael Schwimmer into a game at the very end when it was, uh, you know, all you could do is cringe, and you knew that, that these guys, nothing against them, because I actually like both of those pitchers, uh, but neither of them have any major league experience. So um, yeah, that's kind of unfair to them, and it's kind of unfair to the team. Now, if you look forward to this year, um, you had Mike Adams and Chad Durbin and it's, and the, you know, entering that bullpen. So uh, the same bullpen that blew eight, 13 leads in the eighth inning last year yeah. now has Mike Adams. And if you just think about, uh, you know, what an what an 81-win team, if they don't blow 13 of those games, if they blow seven of those, you I know, mean, maybe maybe they blow six of those and they win seven of those, what a difference that makes. Because then they're they're 88 wins and and they're you know wild card contenders. Yeah. Uh, so so just adding Mike Adams and Chad Durbin and letting letting the young guys like Philippe Lamont, who is very talented, uh, and Justin DeFreitas, who is very talented, uh, letting guys like that, you know, uh, you know learn their way in the, the sixth inning or seventh inning is a lot safer than relying on those guys in uh, eighth inning games with one-run leads. Uh, so I think that um, just thinking about the bullpen and how many games they could have easily won with a solid bullpen last year, despite all the injuries, I, I tend to, to think that the Phillies are going to be doing uh, a lot better than last year. All right. Well, I'll tell you, from my perspective, I've been somewhat more optimistic than I was a couple of weeks ago. Uh, I like the offensive output I've seen recently, and, uh, um, you know, perhaps maybe they'll make me a believer. I had them finishing third or fourth uh, in the uh, in, in the uh, division, but uh, I don't know. Maybe 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 this will be an 83 situation. So. And, and the Marlins, uh, you know, some people say, well, the Marlins and Mets are going to give them a bunch of wins. Like, well, that that's true for the Nationals and Braves, too. They all play them the same amount of times. Right. But I, I do think the Phillies have – have the opportunity here uh, to, to really sneak and surprise people. Um, and, and even Jason West, you know, the Washington National, former Philadelphia Philly, he picks the Phillies over the Braves <laughs> right now. Oh, and, interesting. Uh, and I think I said before, you know, Chipper Jones, Joaquin Prado, Michael Bourne, substituting that for for uh, Juan Francisco, 
and uh, the two Upton brothers, I, I, I tend to think that that's a minor step down. And, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's not by much, but I, I do think it is a step down. So Yeah, I agree and with they that. Subtract, and they subtracted Tommy Hansen and added Jordan Walden, who's hurt. Um, I, 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 don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't see the Braves being as strong as they were last year. Mm-hmm. Totally agree with that, Frank. Totally agree with that. All right, Frank. Well, uh, you know what? I guess we'll let you go so you can enjoy the sunshine down there in Florida <laughs> yeah, and, the, uh, and the upcoming Nationals-Phillies game. And, uh, yeah, we're jealous of you if you can't tell. So. <laughs> well, enjoy the weather, and I uh, hope to catch up with you guys soon. All right. Thanks All so right, much thanks. for joining us today, Frank. Thanks a lot. All right. Take care. Bye now. Lucky right. guy. Yeah, it was good. Good, good to get an update. Uh, you know, they have surprised me a little bit. So, uh, you know, let's hope it uh, – for for Phil's fans out there, uh, let's hope it continues. Absolutely, absolutely. All right, Mike, let's get into uh, some other things here real quick. Let's go back real quick, though. We only have 23 minutes left in the show, so we'll yeah. do this real quick. Uh, Mark Stahl, Rangers defenseman, takes a puck to the eye last night, uh, you know, flailing around in the ice. And uh, I sat up on the edge of my seat saying, oh, my God, not another Brian Berard. Uh, automatically, I thought, wow, the way he's running around, his eye probably came out. Uh, just got an update right now from former Ranger Nick Kiprios. Uh, the Rangers are gathering medical information today regarding Mark Stoll, but early indications are that his eye injury isn't career-threatening, but he is out indefinitely. So. Wow, wow, okay. Uh, you know, uh, just speculation right there from Nick Kiprios over at Sportsnet, but still it's, uh, you know, better news than uh, we probably all thought we would get last night on yeah, uh, when, Mark Stoll. When we saw the enhanced photos of it and the enlargements of it, there was no doubt about it. He took it almost directly in the eye. The, I yeah, think, you know, around I think, the outer edge of the orbital bone, eyebrow down, right. you know, it just looked like the puck fit perfectly in the uh, roundness of that orbital right there. Right. Now, it, uh, the one thing that when I did look at it very, very closely, where what may have saved him was it was not a direct shot. Stahl, in fact, was moving laterally across, and the puck kind of came at him from the side. So yeah. hopefully... Hopefully, if if there's anything to be said for it, uh, hopefully that 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 might have saved it. Absolutely, uh, it wasn't a direct shot right at the eye like we have seen in yeah. the past. Either way, though, but if you would have took it center in the eye, you know, because I mean it was coming at him and you know heavy. Uh, you know, I don't know if you ever felt a hockey puck for our you know fans listening into right now. It's heavy, you know, and to take that even if it comes at you at 50 miles per hour off of somebody's stick. Yep. On the deflection, it's still going to do some damage. So if you really look at it, if he was just a few inches, his head was turned either way. It could have hit him dead center in the eye or right in the temple. And it, and you know, wow, you know what? I you know what? I think it hit him in the uh, spot that was uh, you know safest to say. Yeah, I mean, if you have to get hit there, I mean, I think I I would agree with you. Uh, and talking about the density of a puck, you're absolutely right. Uh, a puck has more mass to it, really, from the standpoint of weight and feel yeah. uh, than a uh, than a baseball. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. All right. But it brings up the question, and real quick, yeah. uh, NHL, mandatory visors. Um, yeah, I, you know what? I think they should. Why not? So you do know, I. Why not? You know, you, you know, we've seen a lot of eye injuries now, Mike, you know, in, in the NHL. Uh, you know, Brian Berard's, uh, you know, I think it was uh, one of the most awful ones we've seen. And honestly, I mean, even though Brian Berard came back and played with mostly all of the vision gone in that eye, I still think that took away, a, a, you know, away a big chunk of his career. Right. You know, because he was one of the up and coming defenders in the league. So I, you know, I honestly believe that hurt his, uh, you know, and you know, his chance of being, uh, you know, an elite NHL player. 
Um, and it could have been worse than that if it was hit in another spot. So I think that they should make it mandatory. I don't think it affects anybody's performance because the guys that do wear visors are probably some of the best performers in the league, you know, especially uh, defenders that are on a team that have a system of blocking shots yes. like the Rangers. I think it should be mandatory. So I- I'm going to speak a bit with forked tongue. Uh, from the standpoint that, you know, I was raised through the era where helmets weren't even mandatory. Uh, they brought them in later on in the, I want to say, the late 70s, early 80s, yep. where it became mandatory. Uh, but then those that were playing without them, they were grandfathered. Yep. Uh, I would never think of going out. I played the, I played ice hockey. I would never think of going out and playing without a helmet. That's if I had to go out on the ice right now, though, I would not want to wear a visor. But I frankly think it should be mandatory. Yeah, I've actually, uh, you know, playing in a league, I have worn a helmet with a visor, Mike. And honestly, I didn't see what the big deal was when it came to playing with it on. I, I, I didn't see, you know, I didn't see any difference. You know, that's my opinion. Right. So these guys that, you know, grew up for years without playing with visors uh, was different. But there was also guys at one point that grew up playing without helmets as well before they became mandatory. So. Do you think that the NHL and NHLPA would work to make it mandatory? I'm, I'm actually shocked that the NHLPA hasn't tried to make it mandatory yet. Okay. You know, and, and I think uh, you know it not being mandatory is on the uh, shoulders of the NHLPA. So. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I would agree with you. I don't know, but we'll see what happens. Um. Let's talk a little bit of football, Mike. We yeah, have a couple, some, uh, couple mo- interesting stories here, huh? Yeah, we, we definitely have some things going down in football real quick. Uh, Wes Walker, uh, New England Patriots wide receiver, uh, wasn't franchise tagged by the Patriots. He has some disdain about re-signing with them, but now he is actually going to test the free agent market when it opens next week, Mike. Yeah. Uh, Walker is now 31. You know, he's, you know, you can see his numbers. They're starting to fall, you know, not too much. He still had a very, very good season last year. His touchdown numbers weren't as good, but uh, still over 1,300 yards on 118 catches last year. Uh, do you see him ending up back in New England or what? Well, I'm, I'm curious about the whole thing. Um, I, I don't understand why, and I know that you've said that there's that there's that there might be a bit of resentment on the part of Walker um, with perhaps resigning. Um, number one, I don't understand why the Patriots, because it, it was. It appeared to me that there was an obvious attempt on their part to clear some cap space to make the Welker deal occur. I don't understand uh, why they haven't made it happen. That's number one. Number two, uh, I'm not sure Welker's going to get picked up. Let's uh, let's get it straight. If he goes out and, and, and explores it, somebody somebody's going to make an offer to him. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, what, what's what's the motive here, Jonathan? I'm not. Uh, you know, the whole thing's got me a bit befuddled. Yeah, you know what I you know what I think they're trying to get younger. Really? Yeah, I think so. I I honestly think they're trying to get you know younger. I I mean honestly, listen, man, Wes Walker's career is New England. His stats with the Chargers and the Dolphins were awful. He was he was a below mediocre player until he went to New England. His stats in New England are going to round out his career. If he goes somewhere else, you are going to see the exact same numbers that he put up in Miami with another team. For some reason, New England has the habit of taking mediocre players and making them to great players. You know, we've seen that with the Yankees in baseball. We've seen that with other teams. Um, I, I, I think he's going to end up back with New England, and, and if he does, I think he's going to have to take a massive pay cut if he wants to go back there. Wow. My opinion. So interesting. Yeah. 
You know, my opinion. I mean, you know what, man? I'm I'm a Jets fan. Uh, you know, I've been around the AFC East my whole life. I've seen Welker from the beginning of his career with the Dolphins, and uh, this is a guy that just, like I said, was a below mediocre player for the Miami Dolphins. Um, All right. So let's he goes assume, Patriots and blows up and becomes a stud. So let's assume for a moment that uh, that the Patriots make an offer that's below what he would want, you don't think he could get a better offer out there in free agency? I certainly think he could. I, I He possibly could. He possibly could. But I think that, you know, to benefit him uh, playing-wise, I think he would need to return to New England. Um, if you look at some of the teams out there right now, some of the teams that could throw out there where teams that he could possibly put up somewhere near the numbers he's putting up now is a place like Denver. And I just don't think – Denver would shell out that type of money for uh, an agent Welsh Welker right now because he is going on 32 years old, Mike. I just don't see him getting, let's say, a four-year deal from Denver. You know, I think these are teams that are going to want to go younger with their receiving core. And, uh, you know, Patriots uh, have a knack of, uh, you know, keeping guys around for a little bit and then uh, getting rid of them as they start to, you know, age. So is this one of those examples? It could be. So I don't know. Patriots tagged them last year. Uh, I don't understand why, you know, of what one year, what a difference one year is. Exactly. Uh, you know, if, if you look at it too, uh, you know, last off season, um, you know, in, in, into the beginning of this past season, you know, they really weren't talking too highly about him, and we heard a lot of, uh, you know, broadcasters and a lot of analysts talk about is this, you know, is this the start of the decline for uh, Wes Welker? And then all of a sudden he took off again because Tom Brady started throwing at him again. So yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, there was a reason why they did that, so who knows what's going to happen. But, uh, yeah, you know, to me, I think his best bet is staying with New England, and if that happens and uh, he doesn't get the money he wants on the open market, that's going to set up New England for, uh, you know, a really good payday in their own, you know, in in their own sites to uh, yeah. Wes Walker back in for uh, less than he made this past season. So, Interesting. Very interesting move. Absolutely. And uh, let's go over to uh, arch rivals of the Patriots. Let's talk about the Jets here for a little bit and Darrell Rivas, Mike. Yeah. Uh, you and I both agree on what the Jets should do with Darrell Rivas, and we yeah. both said trade him. I'm a diehard Jets fan. I love Darrell Rivas. Uh, he gave the Jets a lot of good things, but at the same time, he gave the Jets a lot of bad things. Yeah. Uh, him sitting out those contracts still is very sour with me. Yes. Um, don't agree with stuff like that, Mike. Uh, this is a team that needs to rebuild. And as I said to you before, if the Jets re-sign Darrell Rivas, they're not going to be able to rebuild and go for the spots that they re- need a lot of help in. If they do, new general manager John Idzik, he's going to be fired within the next two to three years if they resign Darrell Rivas. Remember me saying that if it happens. But not going to happen. Darrell Rivas will be traded, and he will be traded over probably the next few weeks. I, I, I agree, and 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 you know, again, uh, I've said it, you've said it. Uh, I frankly think it's probably one of the better things the Jets could do. Uh, the Jets have got to get something very, very lucrative for him. However. Yeah. Uh, they got to get something that they can use, uh, and that they can use immediately in order to begin rebuilding this team. This would be a good move for the Jets for two reasons. Number one, I'm not sure what Revis, and as you point out, uh, Jonathan, uh, you know his holding out on contracts in previous years that leaves a sour uh, taste in your mouth. Uh, you know, listen, I'm not even a big Jets fan. It leaves a sour taste in my mouth. I, you got to wonder that if it doesn't in in the locker room as well. You know, I, I would bet, venture bet that there are some teammates of his that, that, that you know, probably aren't all that thrilled with him. I agree. They probably wouldn't mind to see him moved on. Well, so the guy's got the, an ego. 
Yeah. Exactly. From Big the standpoint time. of morale, let's move them on. So it's going to help the Jets in that respect. Number two, it's going to help the Jets in their whole rebuilding process. Yeah. Because as you point out, uh, you could certainly get uh, at least one good uh, draft pick, I would think, uh, and potentially two draft picks for them. Well, absolutely, but not even that. You know, now is the time to do it. There's so many holes there. The, you know what? The Jets have to do it so they can really work their money on the free agent market. They have to get rid of Darrell Revis before they do that because they're not going to want to have that headache while they're trying to go after free agents. Correct. They have holes at tight end. They have holes at quarterback, running back, uh, you know, you know, the linebacker spot. They're going to need to bring in another cornerback. Now's the time to get rid of Darrell Revis. They have to do it now. Uh, just out of curiosity, and perhaps, I don't know, maybe you, you may not even have this information available to you right at, at, at the moment. With, with Revis on the payroll, what is uh, what are the Jets? What's the Jets cap? Oh, with him on the, with him on the payroll. With him? Oh, if it, uh, you, I'm not even sure right now, to be okay. honest. Without, uh, oh, there goes the mascot. <laughs> the mascot is barking. Um, not entirely sure what the uh, salary cap would be at the moment, unfortunately. Okay. Um, trying to look right now. I think their estimated cap is 118 million right now. Okay. All right. So, I mean, you know, you get rid of the Royal Revis, uh, not sure what his base salary is for this. Year. I think his cap value is like 9,000 right now. Okay. So, you know, what are you going to do? You know, it's uh it's it's time for them to get rid of him. So, yeah, let's see. He's due to make 6 million in the final uh their ability to resign uh, Revis due to make 6 million in the final year of his contract. Uh, Revis is believed to be seeking about sixteen million. Sixteen million. Okay. That's what he's seeking to get. Yeah. Yeah. So, it's time to get rid of him. Uh, if I'm reading this correctly, uh, Revis would clear six million off your off your cap. Yeah. So you know that drops them down to about what? Uh, twelve million? Uh, one hundred twelve million? Yeah. So uh, that that is if you're capped out. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, that, you know they need it. So mm-hmm. time to uh, you know move on and see what else that they can do. So. All right, let's uh, stick with the uh, football trend here, and let's talk a little bit about Ra- NFL Commissioner Robert uh, Robert Roger Goodell um, throwing out a statement saying that uh, he's terrified that a, that a player will eventually die on the field. Mike, this is something you and I have both talked about quite a few times here on Fan Junkies Radio, uh, especially over uh, Baltimore Ravens' Bernard Pollard's comments about saying that somebody is eventually going to die, not that he fears it's, that it may happen. He says that it is going to happen. And now we got Goodell coming out and saying this. Why is Goodell coming out and saying this now? Um, because I uh, why? Because I think I think that the man truly is concerned about it. Uh, he, he and let's get it straight. He has not made that statement public. Apparently, this is being passed on uh, by you know somebody on the inside. He apparently has expressed it to uh, people that he's very close with. Uh, Goodell apparently, uh, according to the article I have. Uh, has told friends privately that while he believes, uh, privately that he believes if the game's hard knocks culture doesn't change, uh, it could happen. Uh, he's terrified of it, says a Hall of Fame player who speaks regularly with Goodell. It, uh, it wouldn't be just a tragedy. It would be uh, awful bad for business. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I mean, you know, you and I talked about it. Uh, it, it concerns us. Uh, I, I think it concerns us, uh, Jonathan, probably for the same reasons it concerns Goodell. First and foremost, 
You don't want to see a player ever in any sport go out and in the field of play die. No. Okay, we don't want to see that. All right. Uh, we. Um, but number two. It has happened in the NFL though, but it was a heart attack. That was exactly. uh, Lions receiver Chuck Hughes back in 1971. 1971, right? Yeah. Um. Now we don't want to see that. Uh, and we don't want to see it in any of our sports. Uh, but also, you and I do not want to see it, and we brought this up, because we know that potentially, if it were to occur, it would, it would, it, it potentially could destroy the game, if not dramatically change it forever. Oh, yeah. Um, listen, if that happens and, uh, you know, a player dies due to some kind of internal injury or snapping their neck on the field, whatever, um, it, to me, in, in in my mind, that could possibly be the end of the National Football League. You know, I think the story. I think the story here uh, with Goodell making this, uh, uh, you know, admitting to this. I think the story is that uh, he's actually stating it. You know, that he is, that it's something that is on his mind. You understand what I'm saying? Well, it has to be. That's you know, the, it has to be. That's the story. The story is that there is concern. From the leader of this sport, that in fact it could happen. Yeah. All right. And I hate uh, to say it, Mike, and I told you before, it, it's eventually going to happen. Yeah. yeah. You know, because the hits are just getting more and more vicious every season. Right. Right. You know, and how do you, you know, it, it, you know, in a sport where guys are coming at you like a spear, how do you stop from that happening? I don't think you can. You know, it's just natural instinct when you make a tackle to try to make a, a big and, and a very good tackle to stop that player. You know, I just, you know, I, I don't think that you can put a safety device or stop the natural instincts of an athlete. I, I just don't think you can do it. Yeah, I, I, and one's got to wonder if, in fact, the commissioner is, is is you know, mulling around these these. these possibilities in these concepts how far is he willing to go to modify this game if that's really what his biggest terrifying thought is yeah you know and 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 that i mean from the standpoint of a fan that makes me a bit nervous uh see i I feel two ways about it in one respect i'm kind of glad that my commissioner is concerned about it because we all know that it's something that that you know we as fans worry about as ourselves uh, at the same time, it, it makes me somewhat concerned for the quality and the um, the makeup of the game itself. Yeah. You know. But also, game, you know, in which way is he concerned? Though, is he concerned from the business point of this happening? Is he concerned for the well-being of his players happening? Is it both? You know. Uh, uh, well, which so, one? You no, know, really. You know what I mean? Which? You know, I mean, he is the commissioner. You know. So, well, Jonathan, I, I, yeah, but I, I think they're both. I think it's got to be both because uh, if we put ourselves in that position, and you and I have talked about it, those are the two areas where we are concerned. Number one, as I just pointed out, we're concerned that we ever would see it. We don't ever want to see that occur. But number two, we're concerned about the business of the game from the standpoint that we know that if it ever happened, it could potentially mean the complete destruction of this game as we know it, or at least a very, very, very uh, watered-down, modified version. Well, not even that. I mean, if that happens on the football field, you're going to see it roll out to different sports that is all about, you know, physical being, and that's NHL, 
wrestling, MMA, whatever. I mean, for the NFL, for that to happen in the NFL, that's going to trickle down and affect a lot of other businesses. Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, you know, I, I I could really care about the business side of it. I would just, I just don't want to ever see that happening myself. I mean, you know, after watching. Mark Stahl getting hit in the face with a puck last night. I mean, the only thing I could think of was like, oh, my God, this guy just lost his eye. And I was petrified for him. I couldn't even think, right. Mike, about seeing a guy dying on my television screen or live at a game if this were to ever happen. Oh, and I agree with you. It, you uh, know, at, at that time, if, if I have children and they're, and they're watching alongside of me, I, I just – let alone me not ever wanting to see I would never want my child to ever see that happen. And I'm sure a lot of football fans agree with that. I, I, the the only area where I would be concerned about the quote unquote business of the game is from the standpoint of what the future of the game yes. would be. Yes. Now you know I don't know whether you're defining business as you know uh, how's it going to have a financial effect. I don't give a damn about the. Financial no, I don't give effect. a crap about the financial. I don't give a damn about the financial effect. No. I'm, talking I'm talking about the game about as a whole. The, I'm talking about the business of the game from the standpoint of. What will the game become should that occur? Will the game even exist should that ever occur? I don't think it would be because, like I said, man, you know, guys are bigger, guys are faster, guys are stronger. You can't put a safety harness on on, on, on that natural instinct. You just can't do it, you know. You just really cannot do it. I just do not see – if something like that were to happen, I do not see how the NFL would be able to exist anymore, Mike. Mm-mm. I just don't see it. And yet, you started out by saying that you believe that it is inevitable that it will happen. And I and I said that the last time we got into this discussion about it, it it's going to happen. It's going to happen. Uh, it's not in you know it's not at the front of my mind when I watch a football game, you know. But afterwards, when you see these injuries and what's going on, and you hear this you know all, all this talk about it, it comes right to the front of my mind because you know the injuries are getting worse and worse and. You know, really, what is the next step from a terrible injury in the NFL? And unfortunately, that's going to be a death. Let me ask you. Let me ask you a hypothetical question, real sure. quick. Uh, the injury that Danny Amendola uh, and I brought it up before uh, incurred this past season. Yes. Where it was reported after the fact that, in fact, he could have died on the field as a result of, I believe, it was a dislocated uh, collarbone or something to that effect. Going through the uh, the uh, artery in his neck. Correct. All right. Now. Let's say that a, a death occurred in that respect versus uh, a, 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 you know, a defenseman uh, flying at, at a tremendous rate of speed, slamming into a guy, putting him down on the ground, and the guy just never gets up again. I, Would there be two different effects? Yeah. Uh, based on the type of based on the type of circumstances. The length of. The middle of the football field to one of the entrances to the locker room, if that would have happened to Danny Amendola and it severed his artery, he wouldn't have made it halfway to that entrance. Mm-hmm. He would have dropped dead right there on the field. You know, and I, I, I hate to even say it, but if that would have, you know, if that dislocation would have moved just an inch, that would have been it for Danny Amendola. I think it would have had the same effect on the NFL if it would, if another guy just got hit and just didn't get up. Yeah, you know. A death is a death, you know, unfortunate but true, Mike, you know. Right, right. All right, well, that's it for our show today. Good one. Good one, as always. We always have a good one. We'll have to talk more about this on our Open Forum Friday. That's what we're going to have, too. And that's what we're definitely going to have. So, uh, you know, on Friday, please call in at 347-237-5373 and ask us your questions. And Mike and I will do our best to answer them, and hopefully you'll like our answer. 
Anyway. Probably not. Probably not. Nobody ever likes us. <laughs> All right, first, let's uh, real quick let me thank uh, Frank Close from Philadelphia.com for joining us today from Bright House Field in Clearwater, Florida, uh, talking Philadelphia Phillies. Real enjoyable. And uh, as always, for Mike McShane, I'm Jonathan Raggis. We'll see you all Friday, 12 p.m. Eastern Time. Catch you then.